here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crage. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. are listening to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast, the original wrestling podcast to call itself the flagship. I am your host, the king of banter, the most compelling voice in wrestling media, Joe Lanza, and I'll tell you, no Rich here. He's going to join the show a little bit later. I don't know where he is. He's on some Caribbean cruise or some shit. I don't know. But that's okay. Got a great show lined up. And this is the original wrestling podcast to call itself the the flagship have any of you noticed that there are just a ton of wrestling podcasts now calling themselves the flagship there's the mlw flagship or there's the uh you know there, there's a bunch of them i'm not gonna uh sit here and plug all of them i wonder where they got the idea to call their podcasts the flagship Hmm. No, it really is unbelievable, but, you know, what can you do? The name of this show is hardly the only thing that people try to rip off about it. So, you know. But you're listening to the original and the best, the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast, and despite the absence of Rich Krejci, who is off with his fuck money, you know, going on a cruise or on yet another vacation, I've got a tremendous show lined up for you. We've got, hey, listen, it's almost June. So it's time to start talking year-end awards because we're almost halfway through the year. And now that the Observer has joined the rest of the world in observing a traditional January to December calendar... Now that Dave has joined the rest of us in the 21st century, June is the six-month mark. So it's time to start at least talking about these things. So the lead topic today is going to be the early contenders for Wrestler of the Year. And what I did was I went on Twitter and farmed candidates from the Twitter followers slash listeners. with no influence of my own 
looked over the list, picked what I feel are the 20 most compelling names to talk about, eliminated the rest, broke those 20 into three groups, and ranked all 20 of them. And I'm going to break down all 20 of those names in the lead topic today. And then tell you who I think is the leading contender for Wrestler of the Year as we creep towards the halfway point of 2018. If you mentioned a name on Twitter and they're not among these 20, I just didn't think they were a serious enough candidate. Or they weren't a serious enough candidate to mention among the top 20. I didn't want to sit here and talk about 53 people. I mean, you know, this is a long podcast, but nobody has time for that. So we whittled it down to 20. Now, I'm going to bury the fuck out of a lot of these names. I'm just warning you now. And it's really no disrespect to your opinions. It's no disrespect to these wrestlers. The fact that they made the cut to get into this top 20 that I'm going to discuss is a compliment in and itself. I mean, there's plenty of names that I'm just totally disregarding that we won't talk about. And even more interesting than the 20 names that were, I guess you could say, nominated by the followers slash listeners, I have 10 names that not a single person mentioned, which I find fascinating based on what these 10 names are. Some more fascinating than others. But there's 10 people who didn't even get mentioned at all by anybody, and I just think it's curious that that some of these names didn't get mentioned. So we'll talk about those 10 who in some cases I think have better cases than a lot of the names that were mentioned, maybe you know, including some of the 20 that we're going to talk about in detail. Then we're going to break down the 20. I broke them into three groups. The first group is my personal top five including my number one, who we'll talk about in detail. The second group are a group of eight names that I think are worthy of discussion. But ultimately, I don't think they have what it takes at this point to earn a vote or win the award. And then the third group is a group of seven names that I think have absolutely no chance to win and quite honestly don't even deserve it. But, uh, you know, they, they were mentioned a lot by the listeners, and I think that they're interesting to talk about. I would call those fringe candidates. And again, it's going to come off like I'm burying these guys, but the fact that they were even mentioned, the fact that they even made the cut to to this top 20 that I've compiled is in itself a compliment. And I say these guys, another interesting facet, not a single female not a single female in the mentions, unless I, I, I missed one or two. I mean, we do get a ton of mentions. It's possible that I missed a few, uh, but not a single female wrestler, which is interesting. So that'll be topic number one. We'll talk about the Fox billion dollar deal for SmackDown. Last week, we talked about the NBC Universal deal for Raw. We didn't know what was going on with SmackDown. All we knew is that there was still bidding at play. And last week I told you why I thought the NBC Universal Raw deal was bad for the hardcore wrestling fan. The kind of fan that would listen to a show like this. You know, a dorky, smart type of fan. I told you why that deal could be bad for you. 
in the interest of fairness, because I am a fair and balanced man, as everybody knows, I am going to tell you why the billion-dollar Fox deal could be good for the hardcore wrestling fan. We know it's good for investors. We know it's good for the McMahon family. Hopefully, hopefully, as once again, I forget to turn down my phone as my text messages are pouring in. Hopefully, it's good for the talent and they get a taste. That remains to be seen. But I'm going to tell you why it could be good for the hardcore wrestling fan. I've got three reasons for you. And then we're going to close out the show. We did not do Lanza TV reviews on the subscription side on Monday. I had personal obligations and couldn't get to it. Mondays is when we do, for you non-subscribers who may not be aware, Monday I do, I do two subscription shows a week reviewing weekly television. On Mondays, I do ROH, MLW, and Impact Wrestling. MLW Fusion. On Thursdays, it's WWE Day. I do 205 Live and NXT. The Thursday show is up now. It should be up now on the subscription feed. Voice of Wrestling slash Patreon.com. I think that's the URL. I am the worst at URLs. Go to Patreon and search Voices of Wrestling. These are available on the $5 tier. And the Thursday reviews, 205 Live and NXT from this week is already up. And honestly, I think it's the best show that I've done so far. I thought it was a killer show, and I knocked it out of the park. It was tremendous. Now, I didn't get to do the show Monday, but I did watch all the television, and I have my notes. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to do it. Th- I'm going to do it on this show for free. So we'll close out the show with the television reviews, ROH, MLW, and Impact. Because honestly, these promotions don't get a lot of airtime on the flagship. We've got three hours a week, which sounds like a lot, but once you go through WWE, New Japan. You know, maybe if All Japan is doing something big, which, by the way, another house cleaning note, uh, the All Japan Cork and Hall show, main evented by Kenta Miyahara defending his title against uh, Naomichi Marafuji, we're going to review that show, the entire show, next week uh, on next week's flagship when Rich returns. So you're not going to hear me talk about that this week. We're going to do it next week, though. We're going to devote an entire segment to All Japan. But promotions like Ring of Honor, MLW, Impact, a three-hour flagship, sometimes we don't have time to get to that stuff. So... Uh, there's a couple different reasons that I'm going to do those reviews this week on the flagship. Number one, it's to make sure uh, that you guys hear them. I'm not going to blow it off. Number two, I'll throw the uh, you know the weekly flagship listeners a bone, and maybe entice them to you know cough up a few bucks if they like what they hear to pay for the TV reviews on a on a day to day basis. So it's an advertisement as well. And number three, it's three promotions that don't get a lot of run on the flagship. So it's good to mix them in. We like to cover it all here. It's really hard to cover it all. But this is an opportunity to really spray to all fields this week. Wrestler of the Year topic, we're going to cover a lot of different promotions. Of course, we'll do the WWE business stuff. But how often do we talk ROH, MLW, or Impact on the flagship? Not often at all. So I think it's good to uh, to get them in the mix as well. We'll also touch a little bit on OTT, another promotion we don't talk about a ton, but they released a free match this week. Very smart business move in my opinion. Willow Spray versus uh, Matt Riddle. 
run, do not walk to watch this match. But we'll get into that in more detail as we move along the show. So a lot of different promotions in the mix. OTT, MLW, Ring of Honor, Impact, WWE, Wrestler of the Year is going to cover everything. Maybe even a little RevPro. Had a chance to see the uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Keith Lee match. The rematch from their tremendous match in RevPro several months ago. Matter of fact, why don't I just talk about that uh, very quickly. Excellent match, very different from their first one, which was basically a bomb-throwing Haas fight. This was more Keith Lee uh, saying goodbye to RevPro, by the way. Everybody knows he's going WWE at this point. Um, just laying a beating on Ishii, and Ishii taking one of his classic take-a-beating-but-do-not-die beatings. And then fighting back valiantly to eventually score the win. This was more of a classic Tomohiro Ishii match, and it was tremendous. It was tremendous. Very different from the first one, though. If you're thinking, eh, I saw the first Keith Lee Tomohiro Ishii Rev Pro match. I don't need to see it again. Well, this one's very different. I would recommend going out and seeking it out. For sure. It's on New Japan World. And Rev Pro Service. Those are the two places you could find it legally, you pirates. Also saw the Minoru Suzuki Zack Sabre Jr. title defense against Chris Brooks and Travis Banks. I didn't love it. I'm down on Banks. I'm, I'm, I've been down on Banks. I, I think Banks is dragging progress down. Um, you know, I'm just not interested in his progress title run at all. Haven't been. Uh, Brooks is a guy who is okay. I mean, I know I, I, I bang on, on CCK a lot. On Twitter, not so much here because we don't talk a lot of British wrestling on the flagship and, and you know, not as much as we would like to anyway. Um, but it's not so much Brooks. It's more his partners. Brooks is okay. And he was okay here. Um, Banks just annoys me. I'm not into Banks right now. Uh, a lot of shtick. A lot of shtick in this, you know, early on in the match. Came around and had a tremendous final third. And, um, you know, I really wanted, while I was watching it, to come on here and bury the match. But it ended up being a decent match by the end of the match. So that's well worth a watch, too. Both of those matches are on New Japan World. And obviously the entire show is on the RevPro streaming service. So I wanted to talk about RevPro real quick. And I'm glad I thought about it because I probably would have forgot. But... Let's get into the meat of the show. Also, by the way, this is an ad-free show this week. No ad reads. I'm doing this for free. Joe Lanza's working for free. You see how Krejci is. Now I know why he ducked out. It's a free show. Rich Krejci doesn't work for free. Not only am I working for free, I'm giving away my pay content on this show for you. So maybe head over to the, you know, the Patreon and, yeah, give me a little taste. Assuming you like what you hear. But you will. Because I do a tremendous job. Anyway. Let's talk Wrestler of the Year. In 1992. The Philadelphia 76ers traded Charles Barkley to the Phoenix Suns. Blockbuster NBA trade. Charles Barkley was 29 years old. Still in the peak of his athleticism. He was frustrated in Philadelphia. Phoenix was a team that they were Western Conference contenders, but they just couldn't get over the top. 
Barkley comes to Phoenix. And along with Thunder Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, young players like Cedric Sabalos and Richard Dumas, veterans like Danny Ainge and Tom Chambers, the Suns were the talk of the NBA that year. I think they won 62 games. Marched into the playoffs. Went to the finals. And put up a real good fight against Michael Jordan. And the Chicago Bulls. Who were in the midst of their first three-peat. Before Jordan went off to play minor league baseball. The point here. Is it was Charles Barkley's year. It was Charles Barkley's year. And Charles Barkley won the MVP that year. The NBA Most Valuable Player Award. Did he deserve it? I mean, probably not. Because from the point that Michael Jordan, uh, you know, established himself as the best player in the NBA to the point that he retired briefly to play baseball, and then when he returned, he probably should have won the award every year. Realistically, Michael Jordan was the best player in the NBA from probably about 1987, which is when he won his first MVP, the 87-88 the, uh, season, until he went to uh, you know, the Washington Wizards at the end of his career. But all of those years spent on the Bulls between about 1987 until he you know, left the Bulls the second time, he was realistically the best player in the league and probably should have won the MVP every year. He didn't. Barkley won it in 93. Magic Johnson snuck in there and won one or two. Carl Malone won one the year that the Jazz went to the... The Jazz finally broke through and made the NBA Finals. It's... it's it, it was sort of... And what I'm getting at, the point I'm making is... It was Barkley's year in 93. It was Malone's year, the year he won the MVP. And voters were tired of voting for Michael Jordan, who was clearly the best player in the league... But it just wasn't his year. We can put this in wrestling terms. When I think about wrestler of the year in a worked sport where we don't have statistics and standings, I mean, we have kayfabe stuff like titles and that, and that stuff factors in, but it's just not the same or comparable to legitimate sports. What I think about is, and you know, the way the, the NBA MVP works. And, you know, I'm talking about Michael Jordan. You talk about the current generation. It's the same with LeBron James. He's almost always the best player in the league. But in 2011, it was Derrick Rose's year. It felt like Derrick Rose's year. You know, it was Kevin Durant's year, the year he won. Russell Westbrook, you know, averaged a triple-double or whatever, and, and it was his year, and he won. But realistically... LeBron's the best player in the league. And I'm not here to have a basketball debate. What I'm here to say is, when I think about the wrestler of the year, I think about whose year does it feel like? And in 2017, it just felt like Kazuchika Okada's year. He was in the midst of quite possibly the greatest IWGP title run of all time. Tremendous match after tremendous match. New Japan business growing with him as champion. It was his year. 
And realistically, he was the only choice come award season for wrestler of the year or Flair Thez or most outstanding and all these sorts of things. It, it was Okada's year. And all the awards he won, he deserved. It, was, it just felt like Okada's year in the same way that the 92-93 basketball season felt like Charles Barkley's year. So I have someone in mind as the front runner for wrestler of the year because it just feels like his year. Yeah, he's delivered a ton of great matches. In fact, and we'll get more into detail with this later. So far, through the 24th of May, I have this man at 13 matches at four stars or better. For comparison purposes... For the entire company of WWE, including NXT, not just the main roster, I've got 12 matches. This man is beating WWE by himself. The entire company, NXT, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, 205 Live, whatever you want to name. He's got 13, WWE has 12. Now, that's one man's opinion. That's why you're listening to hear my opinion. So the point here is he's getting it done in ring. But it, you know, as I go through the 20 names, it takes more than just in ring. It just feels like it's this guy's year, but we'll get to him. As I talked about in the show opening, we got 20 names that we're going to discuss in detail. 20 that I felt would be the most compelling to discuss and the most interesting names of 2018 so far. If someone got mentioned a lot, I included them. If someone got mentioned once or twice, but I thought they were good shouts and interesting to talk about, I included them. There were some some people who were mentioned a handful of times I didn't include because I don't consider them serious candidates. Or even fringe candidates for that matter. Because the bottom part of this 20 are fringe candidates. But before we get into that, before I tell you who the Charles Barkley of 2018 wrestling is, I want to talk about some of the people who weren't mentioned at all. Not a single shout. And I find some of them fascinating. ROH World Champion Dalton Castle. Not a single mention. Shane Strickland. MLW World Champion. Bouncing around the Indies, doing a nice job, no mention. Those aren't particularly surprising. Pentagon Jr. You know, we're going to talk about him a ton when I do the TV reviews later. Because he wrestles everywhere. And he's on TV every week. And he's, you know, uh, still an indie draw and all those sorts of things. No mention whatsoever. Shinsuke Nakamura. No mention whatsoever. That one's not so much surprising as I just thought it was worth mentioning. Roman Reigns, not a single person suggested Roman Reigns. Now, he's having a horrible year from a kayfabe perspective. And kayfabe does matter in these things. You can pretend it doesn't, but it does. But realistic, I mean, bell to bell from a nerd perspective, he's not having that great of a year either. And, you know, there's the proof, not a single mention of Roman Reigns. Now, here's the ones that I find very surprising. Not a single mention 
for Braun Strowman. Not a single mention for AJ Styles. Not one person suggested AJ Styles. Now, AJ Styles is a great wrestler, but he's not having a great year. The Nakamura feud, the ball punching feud, has not been good. SmackDown, although it's getting better reviews lately, has been bashed all year long as a terrible show. Not one mention of AJ Styles. That's it's so interesting to me. Not one mention of Nick Gage. For all the talk about Nick Gage, and we've talked about him a lot on the flagship, not a single person suggested him for Wrestler of the Year. And let me tell you something. As someone who has seen Nick Gage live, he might be the biggest indie star right now in wrestling. But not one person suggested him. So is his 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 um you know his lousy in ring dragging him down in that sense? I, I don't know. But it, nobody mentioned him. Not a single mention for Nick Gage. Then a couple others that were somewhat interesting. Austin Aries, who Impact is largely built around, no mention. That's more uh to me, along with Pentagon a reflection of how people view Impact Wrestling, despite the fact that they have new leadership, new ownership, people still don't pay attention to Impact. Joe Doring's another one who didn't get a single mention. I, I, you know, I thought he's having a pretty good year working at the top in All Japan. But um, those are 10 names that didn't get a single mention. So if you're wondering why any of those guys aren't going to get discussed, I didn't snub them. You guys did. You guys snubbed all 10 of those guys. If those guys would have got mentioned, I may have discussed them, but, I, you know, and I guess I just did technically, but no mention. So let's get to our top 20. We're going to start at the bottom with these are seven people who got a significant amount of mentions or I thought were interesting enough to discuss because they do have a footprint in 2018 who I think have no chance at this point in the year to win the award. They'd have to do a ton of work to get into a serious conversation. These are what I call fringe candidates. Now, I'm going to bury the shit out of all seven of these guys, and you're all going to get mad at me, and that's fine. Hop into the mentions at Voices Wrestling and bury me right back if you think I'm wrong. And a lot of you people nominated these people, so I'm sure a lot of you are going to think I'm wrong. I do think they're fringe candidates, though, and I do think they're worthy of discussing. But if you want to have at it for the things I have to say, go right ahead. Number one, Ricky Marvin. Ricky Marvin got a mention or two. And, um, you know, based on... Now, look, I've watched a lot of Ricky Marvin matches, believe it or not. I don't know if I talked about it on the flagship. I know for a fact I did on Twitter. He's getting a lot of buzz because he's working these grimy Mexican indies. And he's having these wild matches. And at least as someone who isn't deeply embedded in Lucha circles, who kind of just keeps one eye on Lucha, to me, he is the most talked about Lucha wrestler in 2018, at least, you know, from my, with my peripheral vision. So I thought he was worth talking about a bit here. I've watched a good deal of these Ricky Marvin matches. I've had people send me the recs, and they're entertaining. And he's had a, a one or two really good ones. And he's had a couple of others that 
I, I, you know, people raved about, and I was like, well, that, that match wasn't only, not only did nothing for me, but it stunk. So I'm kind of all over the place with Ricky Marvin, but he has no chance of being wrestler of the year. And I mean, I can't see justifying voting for him in any, any form whatsoever. I mean, I just can't. Yeah, he's a veteran guy doing some interesting things on low-level Mexican indies. That's not a wrestler of the year. And quite honestly, the matches aren't nearly good enough to where you can't ignore the guy. So I was talking to one insider, and, and the thing about Ricky Marvin is he's frustrated because he can't get booked in Japan anymore. I guess with all the Noah changes, he's kind of like was part of of the old regime's, uh, you know, core of of Gaijins, and, and they're not bringing him in. And um, you know, he's a frustrated guy, and 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 um, he's getting a little older, and he's a little jealous of some of the success of some other guys from his generation, and they're still getting booked in places that he would like to be booked in, and. So he's just bouncing around in these grimy indies and he's just working a very aggressive style. But come on, Ricky Marvin is not a serious wrestler of the year candidate. I can't take him seriously. Uh, Number two, and remember, this is a group of seven fringe candidates who have maybe made a little bit of noise, but I can't take them seriously as candidates. PCO. PCO landed in the mentions quite a bit. This is another guy I've seen live this year. And I guess he's like a trendy choice of the of the true wrestling hipster fan to nominate for something like this. But what do we really have with PCO? What do we really have with PCO? We've got a nostalgia act who was willing to take a savage beating from Walter who every couple of weeks posts a really cool promo video on YouTube. That's not a wrestler of the year. Now, is he a lot of fun? Is it like one of the coolest stories of 2018 that he just emerged out of nowhere, out of hibernation, to become an indie player? Sure. Do I think he's drawn a little bit of money, uh, you know, relative to the level of place that he works? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, he got booked like crazy coming off WrestleMania and off of these wacky YouTube videos he puts up. So it's a nice little story. Is he a serious contender for wrestler of the year? Not a fucking chance. Let's get back to reality. This is a big boy award. And PCO is not a big boy wrestler right now. Very similar to Ricky Marvin in that respect. PCO is like the US slash Canada version of Ricky Marvin. It's a nice little story. There's some cool stuff out there. But this is a big boy award and these aren't big boy wrestlers. You know, these are cute guys to mention, but they they can't win, nor should they. Number three, Roderick Strong. I guess this is really confusing because I'm going one, two, three. I'm going um, reverse order. So the first guy I mentioned, Ricky Marvin, I think out of the 20 is the least worthy of being discussed 
for wrestler of the year, then PCO, and now Roderick Strong. I'll stop putting numbers on them. It's probably confusing people. I'll tell you when we're getting into the next group. But next up is Roderick Strong, mentioned by a few people. And look, he's had a good in-ring year. I believe Roderick Strong is probably one of the five best bell-to-bell wrestlers in WWE. You've got Johnny Organo. Uh, you've got AJ Styles. I think Roderick Strong is right there. I'd put I if if you listen to my Thursday TV reviews, I'd put TJ Perkins in that conversation. Um, you know, Roderick Strong, tremendous wrestler, and he's had some tremendous matches, both in the 205 Live tournament. Um, I thought the turn at Takeover when he turned on Pete Dunne was was a a very well done angle that obviously got over tremendously. He's part of Undisputed Era, but um, he's not a serious wrestler. Come on. Hasn't done nearly enough. And hasn't done nearly enough, you know, in high-profile spots. Let's work some main events first. He'd have a long way to go to get into the conversation. Next is another guy from NXT. But this is a guy who has worked some main events. Um, And only one or two people brought him up, which reinforces why I'm correct in putting him in the fringe group. But I do think he's worthy of discussion, and that's Aleister Black. I think he's worthy of discussion. He's NXT champion, and he's had some excellent matches. There's no question about it. But I think it's telling that only one or two people brought him up. Here's the problem with Aleister Black. And I thought the Almas match was, you know, the title change was severely underrated because of, uh, you know, two other matches on the show that overshadowed it. But it may have been my favorite match on that show because I wasn't as high on the ladder match or the Gargano-Champa match. And I've heard other people say the same. He's had underrated stuff. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the Adam Cole match from the um, from January as well. I mean, he's, he's had good stuff. But the fact that only one or two people brought him up while he's NXT champion, I mean, that, t- that tells the story. He's a fringe candidate at best, at best. In fact, he's NXT champion, but the company is built around Johnny Gargano. He's not even the lead dog on the sub-company of the company he works for. How can I consider him a serious wrestler of the year candidate? On the developmental brand of his company, he's not even the guy that the, that the developmental brand is built around. That's Gargano right now. So Alistair Black, fringe candidate at best. And this next one's going to really annoy people, but um, listen, I'm Joe Lanza. I shoot straight. Ilja Dragunov. Let's talk about Ilja Dragunov. And then after Ilja, we got two more names for the fringe group before we move on. Ilja Dragunov is a guy who clearly is a draw for his company. Enormously popular. Anyone who saw the match or the video clips of his return to the company in March, explosive pop. The company, WXW, of course, has been built around him and his battles with Walter, 
and absolute Andy, people like that. But I think what holds Dragunov back from being a serious contender is one, WXW isn't quite big enough of a company, but more importantly, for whatever reason, I don't even know if those reasons are fair, they don't have the same reputation or visibility as comparable companies, comparable sized companies like Progress. Now that might be a little unfair because Progress now runs shows all over the world. Progress runs shows in Australia. They run shows in the United States. They're going on a six-city U.S. tour that we'll probably talk about more next week. But, I mean, I think they're so – look, you know, RevPros, your Progresses, places like that are similar in size and scope to WXW, but for whatever reason um, – and they have a, 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 a streaming service. They're, they actually, in fact, have, 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 have shows on two different streaming services. Um, but for whatever reason – WXW is kind of like this hidden, tucked away secret in Europe. And I just don't think Dragunov has the exposure to be a serious candidate for an award like this. Now, here's where I annoy people. Oh, and the other thing is, it's basically the only place he works. That's the other problem. So there's an exposure issue with Dragunov. But here's what's where I'm going to annoy people. I don't get it. I don't get this guy. I watch this guy wrestle. And I get all hyped up because people talk about how great this dude is. And I am never come away impressed. I'm just, I don't understand. What am I missing with Ilja Dragunov? Please tell me what I'm missing. And I know that the mentions are going to blow up when people hear. I, I'm, I, that's what I want. I want you to tell me what I'm missing. Because I just don't get it. I watch this guy wrestle Walter, and I watch Walter beat the living shit out of him. And while that's admirable, anyone can do that. Now, clearly, I am missing something. And clearly, I am in the minority, because this guy is wildly popular. Explain it to me, because I don't understand. I come away from Dragunov matches shrugging my shoulders going, oh, oh, it was okay. He was fine. I don't know. Show me how to love this man. But yeah, my personal opinions of his wrestling aside, it's just, it's an exposure issue here. Next up, Hiroshi Tanahashi got mentioned a lot. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you with Tanahashi, I I was surprised to see his name mentioned so much, and I thought about it more, and then I understood. I was like, okay, I kind of get it. He had the Okada match, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the Suzuki match. There's stuff there with Tanahashi in terms of bell to bell. Here's my problem with Tanahashi in terms of uh, Wrestler of the Year award. I can't consider him more than a fringe candidate when he's like fourth or fifth on the food chain in his own company. I can't do it. I can't do it. I 
Um, WrestleMania weekend, I saw him a couple of times, and he was in total... Um, I don't mail it in is strong, but he wasn't out there. You know, he, he was getting by on his aura. Let's put it that way. But yeah, I mean, and, and of course, the Jay White match at Wrestle Kingdom was, you know, fell flat. So really, when you look at Tanahashi, it comes down to the Suzuki match. It comes down to, I guess, some of the New Japan Cup stuff. And it comes down to the, the, um, the Tanahashi match. But, you know, he's not one of the, the top you know, he top guys in his company anymore, and there's just not enough there. I, I don't see Tanahashi as anything more than a fringe contender at this point. You know, if he has a huge G1 or something and fucking wins the thing, or I don't know, maybe, but I at this point, no. He's a fringe contender. And then the last person in this group is going to be Matt Riddle. And we're going to talk about Matt Riddle a little bit later. Matt Riddle is awesome. There's no question about it. Um, I just don't think the resume is meaty enough right now. You take away the two Will Ospreay matches. And I know that's probably not fair because you take away anyone's two best matches and they're going to, but you take away the Mercury Rising and the OTT Willows, and there's really not a ton there for Riddle. Um, I got a lot of respect for Matt Riddle. I think he's a great wrestler. Um, he's had better years, especially if we're using the Barkley measure, right? Other years have been Matt Riddle's year. This is not Matt Riddle's year. It doesn't feel like he's working the same variety of places. It's just, I don't know. I don't, a lot of this is gut, and I don't feel like Matt Riddle is having the kind of year that that when we get to our top five or even this next group that some of these other people are having. But certainly a fringe guy and a guy to keep an eye on. If Evolve closes out the year like gangbusters and he's having match of the year contender after match of the year contender. And and look, Riddle was one of the stars of Mania Weekend. There's no question about it. Look, it was Riddle, it was Will Ospreay, it was Zack Sabre Jr., and it was Walter. I mean, those are your guys, WrestleMania Weekend. But um, I think Riddle at this point is a fringe candidate. Let's move to the next group. This is a group of eight wrestlers who I think are are certainly worthy of discussion and they're worthy of keeping an eye on, and they can jump into serious contention if things fall their way the rest of the year. There'll be eight names total, and then I'll get into the top five. The first person here, and this 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 is going to be such a fun one to talk about, because this guy almost didn't make the top 20 period because he only got mentioned once, which I was stunned. Because everybody raves about this guy. Every Monday, I got to hear everybody raving about... I, I read my timeline, and they're raving about this guy's you know match on Raw. He's probably been the best pay-per-view performer in WWE this year, even though that's really not saying much. As, as Rich and I discussed last week, WWE is not a company, at least on the main roster, where there's been a ton of high-level stuff. I think I've got two or three matches all year that I have at four stars or better from the main roster in WWE. But he's probably been their best pay-per-view performer. People rave about him every Monday. Then I watch Raw and I watch his matches and I'm like, that was okay. I just, I, I don't get it. But I think that if we unpack it, we can figure out why he's so hyped. And that's Seth Rollins. And I gotta be completely honest. The only reason I'm even putting him in the group of, you know, this next group here 
as opposed to that first group is because when you're the top in-ring performer in the biggest company in the world, you know, that vaults you ahead of some of these other people. I can't put him in the same group as Ricky Marvin, for God's sake. I can't do it. I mean, if Seth Rollins had a huge second half of the year, he vaults right into serious discussion. So I had to put him in this group. Now, personally, I think Seth Rollins is having a nice little year. I don't see where he's this super worker that people are claiming he is. Where is it? Where is it? We've got this endless feud with The Miz and Finn Balor over the Intercontinental title. They've had some nice little matches. I gave the, 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 Seth, the Seth Rollins Miz match from the last, from Backlash. It was a good match. I went three and three quarters on that match. That's not a match of the year level contender match. That's not the kind of match. That wasn't Matt Riddle versus Will Ospreay taking the, the world by storm. Just It wasn't that good. Come on now. It was a nice little match. The three-way at WrestleMania. Again, an excellent match. A great opening match. Same as Backlash. Seth Rollins right now is a very good opening match wrestler. That's what he is. He's got some decent TV stuff. He's got some good opening matches on pay-per-views. But I'm sorry, Seth Rollins is not even close. Not even close to the best bell-to-bell wrestler in the world this year. I mean, he wouldn't make my top 40. In fact, I'm going over, I went over my notes before this show and and I had the, I, I was a little surprised. I don't have a single Seth Rollins match rated four stars or better all year. Now, you can say that that's my taste. I told you some of the ones I liked a lot that were really close. Could I go an extra quarter star on those two matches? Sure. So let's throw those in there. Who cares? It's fine. Because there's such a fine line between quarter... Who's going to you know haggle over quarter stars? But the point is, he's buried under a sea of guys who are having much better bell-to-bell years than he is. I think Seth Rollins, honestly, is the most overrated bell-to-bell wrestler in the world this year. It's got some nice little TV matches, some nice little opening matches for paper. But come on now. Again, like I talked about before, this is a big boy award. And there are guys with piles of great, great matches. In some cases, what will go down as legendary matches this year. And he doesn't have that. He just doesn't have the meat to his resume. He's a compiler. To make another sports reference, he's Harold Baines. Okay, he's not Mike Trout. We're going to talk about the Mike Trouts. We're going to talk about the Mickey Mantles and the Mike Trouts and Barry Bonds. No PED jokes, please. Seth Rollins is Harold Baines. Seth Rollins is the guy who plays you know, for 24 years and scratches and crawls the 3,000 hits. Hey, look, nice player. Nice year he's having, but come on. He's not having a big boy year. He's not having a big boy year. 
Next up is Minoru Suzuki, where if I did this show in March, he most certainly would have been in the next group. But he slipped a little. The Naito match hurts his stock because the Naito match was not good. By the way, not a single mention for Naito either. I didn't mention him in that group of guys that weren't mentioned. Because I don't think anybody expected Naito to get mentioned this year. Outside of the Okada match, which I thought was a fantastic fucking match. And with, with incredible drama. He, it's not been, he, look, he hasn't been featured. They've downcycled him a little, which they do when guys come off of losses like that. And the Suzuki match didn't deliver. When they put him back in a big spot, didn't deliver. As far as star power, he's still there. But we're not here to talk about Naito. Suzuki... If we would have done this in March, he would have been in the first group, meaning that you know the top group. I, I can't put him there anymore because he slipped a little. The Naito match was disappointing, and WrestleMania weekend he was another guy similar to Tanahashi. Where, uh, look, I didn't love the Riddle match at Bloodsport. A lot of people did, so you know let's put that aside. But you know otherwise Suzuki, you know the Cobb match wasn't anything special. Uh, lately he's tailed off is my point. So I've got him in this group. He's a guy worthy of discussion. We'll see what happens. To me, Suzuki is a guy who's going to continue to tail off. He got off to a tremendous start first three months of the year. To me, he's a guy who will continue to tail off now and eventually uh, you know, won't be in the discussion any longer. Next up is Kenny Omega. Screwed up my order here. Next up is not Kenny Omega. Damn, Joe, you're a disaster. Next up, actually, is Kota Ibushi. And he's labeled incorrectly. The problem with Ibushi, he's had some great matches. You know, you want to talk about... um, uh, matches like um, the Hangman Page match and uh, some other great matches. That, but the problem is, you know, he's involved in this Golden Lovers storyline, and he's arguably the fourth man on the totem pole in that, you know, in that in 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 in, in that rivalry that they have going on right now. Third or fourth guy in the totem pole. So, um. You know, he's having an okay year, but I, I don't think a wrestler of the year uh, caliber year. Uh, next up, I want to talk about Cody. I already blew it and let you know Omega's in this group. Why don't I just tie Omega in with Ibushi? The order of these guys isn't super important anyway. So Kenny Omega, again, the Golden Lovers thing obviously sparked some business, sparked a lot of interest. Omega had the uh, Chris Jericho match at Wrestle Kingdom, which was a tremendous match. Kenny Omega sold, along with Cody, Let's lump him in, too. I've got Omega, Abushi, and Cody all in this same group here. Uh, Omega, along with Cody, sold 6,000 tickets to an ROH show. Um, and, 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 you know, Cody, along with Omega, um, certainly had a lot to do with instantly selling 10,000 tickets uh, for All In within 30 minutes. But I don't see Cody, Abushi, or Omega as true top-tier wrestler of the year contenders right now. Cody, what's going to hurt him is the in-ring, obviously. He's not going to have matches at these levels. And Cody's best match was probably um, against Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. The Omega match was more of an extended dramatic scene more than a match at WrestleMania weekend. Cody versus Omega. 
And Cody is still hit or miss in the ring. Omega and Ibushi are far superior wrestlers. I don't think Ibushi is going to be featured in the big spots as much as the other two will be moving forward. We'll see if he's in G1 to begin with. Because when G1 comes, you can blow this thing up. Because so many New Japan guys have so many great matches in the G1 that they blow past a lot of these other dudes. And we know Omega is going to be in the G1 and probably kill it. But the three of them now as a collective, I just, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how I could ever vote for them. So yeah, there goes, so let's see. We did Rollins, we did Suzuki, and we did the Golden Lovers plus Cody. Because I got my notes all screwed up on the dopey order. But these guys are all in the same group, so it's really silly. We're splitting hairs here, ranking them. Uh, next up, Suji Ishikawa. The real big dog, some would say. Look, he had a great match against Takashita and DDT on the 25th of March. He's done some great stuff in all Japan, was in the carnival tournament. Obviously, um, he's a guy that, that, that works in a lot of different places in Japan, and he has. Shuji Ishikawa is probably a guy who has more great matches than a lot of you probably think. But the fact of the matter is, it's still DDT. It's still All Japan. Uh, it's still, uh, you know, Big Japan. And, and if you're going to work in these kind of places, you've really, you can't be a guy that has more great matches than people think. You have to be a guy where everyone knows you're having these great matches. I hope that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. It's not high profile enough particularly with some of these companies behind paywalls now, which, which really bury a guy like Ishikawa out of sight of the common you know, voter for something like this. So he's not... Look, I think he's having a better year than most, if not all, of the people that I put in the first group, with the exception of maybe Matt Riddle, which is why I put him in the second group, but it's an exposure issue for Ishikawa as well. I think a big world title run in one of these companies, I'm talking about a big world title run, would help him tremendously if he has one in the second half of the year. And I, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen. We have two more people left in this group. First up is Andrade Cien Almas Lasombra. Look, the Gargano matches are masterpieces. There's no question about it. The problem is he's another guy who, as of right now, as I burp into the microphone, he's another guy who's starting to tail off. It took him forever to debut on SmackDown Live. But the thing about it is, if he gets a good push on SmackDown and works some main events or has a great mid-card feud, he's a guy to really keep your eye on. As of right now, though, I can't consider him seriously as a wrestler of the year contender. I just can't. There's not enough there. It's a volume issue. Now, as far as peak, the Gargano match will probably win match of the year. If I had to put voting odds on something like that right now, you know, that Gargano match is probably going to win match of the year. I'd say that's the, the, the favorite right now. So his peak is there. There's no question the peak is there, but it's a volume issue for Almas. 
but I'm putting a little asterisk next to him. If he has a hot run on SmackDown Live second half of the year, especially in a main event level, then he's a guy we're going to talk about. Because main roster WWE, as I talked about when I buried Seth Rollins, is devoid of contenders. AJ Styles didn't get mentioned once. Braun Strowman, not mentioned once. Roman Reigns, not mentioned once. And that's all fair, because who in their right minds is voting for AJ? Maybe Braun. Maybe. You can't vote for it. There's no one to vote for in WWE's main roster. It's there for the taking. If, if a WWE wrestler has a big second half of the year, someone like a Rollins or an Almas, they could vault right into this thing. But it's just, it just there's, it's, it's not been great. And the last member of this group is Kento Miyahara. The MVP of the carnival. Boring pick, but the honest pick. MVP of the carnival. Great title matches against people like Joe Doring. I haven't seen the Marafuji match yet. We'll talk about it on the flagship next week. All the reviews I've seen said it was a great match. Um, All Japan. Look, can an All Japan wrestler win something like this? I, I Look, <sighs> probably easier than a DDT wrestler can. Um, or a guy like Ishikawa who doesn't like... who a lot of people don't associate. They don't really have a home base. He's everywhere. As the ace of... Can the ace of all Japan win something like this? I don't know. I I don't want to say no, but it would be really hard. He's done well in Wrestler of the Year polls before. He's having another great year. The reason I'm doing him last in this group is he could easily vault into the next group with a strong second half of the year. I love Kento Miyahara. So that's it. We're going to get into my top five. But let's go over the other groups. We've got our fringe candidates. Ricky Marvin, PCO, Roderick Strong, Alistair Black, Ilja Dragunov, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Matt Riddle. The next group, seven wrestlers. Keep your eye on them. Keep your eye on them, but there's just not enough there as of this time. And here's the proper order since I screwed up the order when I was talking about them. I think I was just too excited to bury Seth Rollins. But here's the proper order. Cody, Kota Ibushi, Suji Ishikawa, Andrade Cien Almas, Kento Miyahara, Kenny Omega, Minoru Suzuki, Seth Rollins. And you can see the respect I'm giving to the you know quote-unquote top WWE main roster in-ring worker. I'm putting them at the top of that group. I would vote for some of those other people before I'd vote for Rollins, but I'm being fair. I'll put them at the top of that group. But people are going to say that I'm underrating him because there's, a, there's, some, there's people out there. Now, again, what was shocking to me is he only got one mention in our menu. I was surprised. I thought he was going to get time. He only got one mention. He almost didn't make the list, period. All right, let's get into the top five. That's what you guys care about. Here's the Joe Lanza top five as of May 25th, 2018. Number five is Johnny Gargano. Um, Johnny Gargano is the face of NXT right now. Johnny Gargano has the um, the, 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 the all-miss matches and the, the Ciampa feud. Um, and, and very clearly, just based on crowd reactions at least, the most popular wrestler in NXT... He's totally outshined the champion, Aleister Black. 
Um, and he's done so while losing most of his matches. Um, he's arguably the best wrestler in the WWE system or universe or whatever you want to call it. And I believe he is a legitimate contender to win Wrestler of the Year awards. Johnny Gargano is number five. I would have no problem with any of these five people winning if the voting was held today, by the way. If you want to view it from that standard. But Gargano is number five. And as I go along, I know you guys can figure out kind of who's left based on who we didn't talk about yet. So this is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. And you're all probably rooting for certain people to come out on top here. So we'll see how it shakes out. Gargano is also the highest ranked WWE wrestler, um, in my opinion. Number four, Kazuchika Okada. Which for him, that's pretty low. But I'm putting Okada fourth. Now, with a, a slight disclaimer, there's a lot of different ways that people analyze Wrestler of the Year. Right now, we're just shooting the shit. It's the beginning of it's the end of May, beginning of June. Uh, you know, there's Wrestler of the Year, uh, which most people just think about bell to bell. There's Wrestler of the Year in terms of, you know, you mix in a little business, which is like the Flair Thez Award, you know, and the Observer Awards. And then they have, you know, Most Outstanding, which is strictly bell to bell. You know, just casually doing this, I've got Okada fourth. If I was doing this by strict Observer Flair Thez standards, he would become, he would vault up to number two when you factor in business more heavily. I am factoring in business to some extent here, but if you're if you're doing it by strict flair thes standards, Okada would be number two. But for our purposes here, casually, right now, I'm putting him fourth. Okada, if we go back to my Charles Barkley analogy, is Michael Jordan in that analogy. He's boring to vote for. He cleaned up last year. Realistically, he should probably be number one again. But I don't feel like it's Okada's year. Just like in 1993, it wasn't Michael Jordan's year. It was Charles Barkley's year. In 1998 or whatever it was, it wasn't Jordan's year. It was Carl Malone's year. Last year was Russell Westbrook's year. This year it is not Okada's year. Last year was Okada's year. But for being stringent about it, he should probably be number one if we're being honest with ourselves. He's still having killer matches. So, you know, the, the Wrestle Kingdom did tremendous uh, numbers. The match versus Naito. So he's, a, he's, a, he's still an enormous draw. He still sells out all of his matches. He's still pumping out match of the year contenders. Not at the same rate as last year, but, they, you know. Realistically, he should probably still be number one. Here's what works against him. He's the Michael Jordan boring vote. And he's not having as good of a year as he was last year, as he did last year. Which last year was one of the greatest years a professional wrestler ever had. It's really hard to do that again. But if you woke up from a coma and missed 2017, you'd probably think Okada was number one this year. But right now I've got him at number four. Because I just don't feel like it's his year as much as the next three. Number three, I've got Zack Sabre Jr. 
So you're all smart listeners. You know who the two people left are. So we're going to do this beauty pageant style. I'm going to announce number one before I announce number two. How about that? But let's talk about Zack Sabre Jr. first. I have him third in my top five. And what can you say? The guy's having a tremendous year. And if it wasn't for the other two guys, in particular the number one guy, he might be my pick. New Japan Cup was his New Japan elevation. I suppose that remains to be seen. We'll see how he's treated come G1. I think that'll be the key. But it sure looked like his New Japan elevation with the number of scalps that he scored in that tournament. Had a great match with Okada to top it off. Had a tremendous WrestleMania weekend where he lost all of his belts, but he had tremendous matches. Arguably the MVP of WrestleMania weekend, along with Riddle, Willow, Spray, and Walter. It's got to be one of those guys. And he's got great matches all over the place. And last year he had, you know, what I thought was an underrated year. Even by, I underrated the guy. When I went and added up all of my, you know, when I went through my notes, I mean, he had more great matches, you know, than anybody. He didn't peak as high as some other people, like Okada and some others, but in total volume, all over the world for a bunch of different companies, I was like, holy shit. Zack Sabre Jr. is all over the place. Guy's got like 20 matches in my fucking notebook. And he's doing it again. He's doing it again. Um, And man, we would have been robbed of a couple of great years of this guy if he would have signed with WWE after that Cruiserweight Classic. But thankfully he did not. Because I, I think that what he's done the last two years uh, certainly would have eclipsed anything he would have done in WWE to this point. And I think he'd be successful because he's very talented and cream does rise to the top. But the last two years, a year and a half rather, have just been, you know, he, the guy's peaking. But the competition's tough at the top. So we come to one and two and you guys know who's left. So my pick for Wrestler of the Year through the end of May, it's his year. It's the year of Will Ospreay. Which obviously means Walter is number two. Look, this is Ospreay's year. That's all there is to it. He's having... One of, if, you know, he's in the midst of one of the greatest IWGP junior title runs in the history of the title. And think of the history that title has. The matches one after another are classics. Not good. They're classics. Better than good. One after another. He's finally gotten his New Japan push. He's over like a motherfucker in New Japan. The best of the Super Juniors tournament, which we're in the middle of right now, for the first time in many years, is built around the juniors. They're not headlining these things with heavyweight six and eight man tags. They're letting the juniors carry it. The first two nights of the best of the Super Juniors sold out Cork and Hall without the help of any of the heavyweights. And in past years... Best of Super Juniors has struggled to sell out Corican Hall, even with the Tanahashis and the Okadas working the show. Working the shows. 
This year, not the case. First two nights, sold out. Fourth night or wherever it was when they went back to Corkin, sold out again. Now, that one had Naito on it. The first two nights, no Naito, no Okada, no Tanahashi. The biggest heavyweight star in those shows was Minoru Suzuki. And the shows are headlined by juniors every night. Every night. That was never the case. Now that's more about New Japan juniors as a whole and how well they've been booked. That's right. I said how well they've been booked. I'm going to get to that. Rather than just Will Ospreay specifically, but he's part of that package and he's the current champion and he is over. And the association as with Okada as his mentor has done wonders for him in the eyes of the New Japan fans. And he headlined against Taiji Ishimori night one and sold out Corican Hall. Now look, it's not the Tokyo Dome. It's not Sumo Hall. It's not Madison Square Garden. But in the relation in relation to where the juniors in New Japan have been and what this tour has done in that building, you know, at times putting 1,300 fans or whatever in there for a best of Super Junior show, and Taiji Ishimori, who has been working for Noah, who can barely put 500 people in Corican Hall. It's feather in his cap. New Japan juniors are draws now. And it's because they've been booked well. You may not like the creative decisions that have been made. I might not like all of them. I've buried them for waiting so long to push Willow Spray. I've buried them for cutting short the Hiromu Takahashi push. But look what they've done. They've turned Willow Spray, Hiromu Takahashi, who headlined the second night and sold even more tickets than the first night, by the way. That guy's a fucking star. Just like I told you he'd be. And, and, and Kushida, those three in particular, New Japan has booked them into being legitimate stars. And Will Ospreay is a worldwide draw. A worldwide draw. At the indie level. It's his year. He's an enormous star this year. He's one of, He is the star to me in pro wrestling in 2018 when WWE, nobody stands out. Okada's the Michael Jordan boring pick. It's Will Ospreay. And I haven't even talked about match quality. His match quality is what really puts him over top. It's through the roof. January 4th for Skull, Hiromu, and Kushida. These are all the matches, by the way. 13 of them that I have at four stars or higher. January 4th for Skull, Hiromu, and Kushida. February 10th versus Hiromu. First title defense. Uh, March the 5th against Okada at the anniversary show. April 1st versus Marty Skrull. Finally defeating Skrull in what was a tremendous match. Tying up years and years of of, of storyline loose ends. Finally overcoming Marty Skrull. Who always would outsmart him and get him in the end. Even if he was out-wrestled. Just tremendous storytelling. Four days later against A.R. Fox and Evolve. The next day, teaming with Chucky T and Rocky Romero versus Flip Kendrick, Shane Strickland, and Kota Ibushi on the Rev Pro Show in New Orleans. Later that day, my match of the year against Matt Riddle at Mercury Rising. Five-star match. Later that day. The next day against Desmond Xavier at CZW, a match that not nearly enough people are talking about. Not at the level of the Riddle match or anything like that, but still an excellent match. 
27th of April, teaming with uh, Okada against Tanahashi and Kushida on the Dantaku Tour. And by the way, a lot of people like the Cork and Hall match that those two teams had better. You could throw that one in the mix. May 4th versus Kushida. His third defense of the title. Another killer defense. May 18th against Taiji Ishimori, best of the Super Juniors. May 20th against ACH, best of the Super Juniors. And May 12th against Matt Riddle in, in, at uh, OTT. A match that OTT put out for free on their YouTube page, which you need to go watch right now. Because if it wasn't for the Mercury Rising match, and maybe Gargano and Almas or, 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 or uh, Okada Naito, this could be my match of the year. So good. The work, look, it's not an epic. Don't go into the match expecting an epic. It's not a 30-minute, kick-out-of-everything epic. What it is, is an insanely paced, hard-hitting, perfectly worked pro wrestling match between Willow Spray and Matt Riddle. Flawless execution of some innovative stuff. Stuff they've never done before. They've wrestled each other a billion times. Stuff they've never done before. Callbacks to their other matches. Flawless work at an indescribably hard pace. And credit to Matt Riddle too who was fan-fucking-tastic in this match. Osprey's resume is insane this year. And the riddle matches are just top it off. And what a decision by OTT. We saw progress do this years ago. Rich made this point, and I'll never forget it. And it was is dead on. You can you can point to progress's serious growth to when they put that Prince Devitt match up for free. At progress 30 or whatever it was. I don't remember what number it was. Prince Devitt showed up right before he 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 uh you know entered WWE, showed up at Progress, and they Put that up for free, and that increased uh, Progress's profile dramatically. This is what companies need to do. It may not always work. And I think a lot of the Australian promotions dropped the ball when Will Ospreay was down there last year, and only one of them released his match for free. It was a match against Robbie Eagles. Or maybe an Adam Brooks. I can't remember which one was the free one. And I think the Australian promotions missed their peak hype by not putting out those Will Ospreay matches for free. Australia is still a burgeoning, uh, you know, region for wrestling, but I really think those promotions missed the peak of the hype when Osprey was down there by not putting out those matches for free. OTT did the right thing here. Look, does it guarantee that they're just going to vault up into Progress's neighborhood, WXW's neighborhood? It doesn't guarantee anything, but you shoot your shot when you have a chance. While people are still talking about this tremendous match, let people see it, expose them, and then maybe, you know, you see that and go, I want more of this. What else do they have on this service? You look around, you see a bunch of names, you're like, you know what, I'm going to try it for a month. And that's how it goes. The dominoes fall. Tremendous decision by OTT. And all these indies should be following that model. And giving that a shot. 
What do you have to lose? All you have to gain are, are, are new fans. Word of mouth can only get you so far. Let them see it. Willow Spray has the resume. He's got the worldwide exposure. And it just feels like Willow Spray's year. His work is so good in every way. He is, he has, the, we've, we've ranted about this on the show before, but I suspect there'll be a lot of new, either new or, you know, part-time listeners listening to this uh, Wrestler of the Year thing, just based on the Twitter feedback I've gotten. But Will Ospreay has become a complete wrestler and arguably the most complete wrestler in the world. It's the truth. And that's why I have him number one. What does he not do well? We all know he can fly. And he's arguably the best flyer in the world. Certainly in the conversation. We all know he's innovative. If you don't think he could sell anymore, you're out to lunch and I don't even, your opinion's worthless to me. I know that's a strong thing to say. But if you don't think Will Ospreay can sell, I don't know what to say anymore. Maybe you don't think he's world class like I do, but to say that he doesn't sell anymore, you're out to lunch. You're still watching matches from 2014. Because Will Ospreay couldn't have had this match against Matt Riddle in 2014. He couldn't have. He wasn't there. He was busy no-selling against Matt Seidel. I get it. But that's not Will Ospreay anymore. The guy's complete. He's added submissions to his game. He can brawl. You don't believe me? Go watch the Jimmy Havoc matches. The guy can brawl. He can do it all. He's a tremendous heel. He's a tremendous babyface. He's selfless. He'll lose to anybody. He's a complete pro wrestler. He's one of the three best wrestlers in the world. In my view. He has arrived. This is his year. His breakthrough year was a couple of years ago. This is his year. That means my number two is Walter. And, you know, to me, and he's been around forever, this is closer to a breakthrough year for Walter than the year. Because a lot of people who didn't know about Walter before now know about him. You know, through WrestleMania weekend, the PCO war, all the other great matches he had WrestleMania weekend. The stuff he's been doing for, you know, for years in his home promotion is there. The Dragunov feud. Listen, Walter really broke through big this year. Or is breaking through big this year. Talking about it past tense. We're talking about this year. And look, he'd be a worthy vote. You know, I'm all about Will Ospreay, but you want to vote Walter right now? I got no problem with that or Zack Sabre Jr., or Okada, or Johnny Gargano. All worthy. But to me, this right now, this is Will's year. Will it end that way? I don't know. Again, G1 goes a long way in determining the direction that these things go. But I'll tell you what, so far, and he, you know, he only has two matches as of this recording that I've seen. Osprey's best of the Super Juniors is 
fan-fucking-tastic. And he hasn't even had the biggest matches yet. He's wrestled Taiji Ishimori and ACH. Listen, two excellent wrestlers. And yo. So he's got some stuff in front of him here at the Best of Super Juniors as well. So there you have it. Top 20 contenders for Wrestler of the Year. Clubhouse leader, Young Will Ospreay. We'll be back. two of the show, we're going to talk about the Fox Billion Dollar Deal. We're not going to get super in-depth on it. Um, just going to give some some brief thoughts and, 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 a, and a few of the reasons why I think this could be good for the hardcore wrestling fan, as opposed to the reasons I gave last week as to why all this stuff could be bad for the hardcore wrestling fan. And then we're going to do our ROH, MLW Fusion, and Impact Television reviews, and uh, whatever else comes up from there. So, a couple notes on the Wrestler of the Year stuff. I wanted to mention, I already mentioned that not a single person nominated a female wrestler, which I found interesting. Um, but also, in terms of Lucha, aside from Ricky Marvin, the only two wrestlers that were mentioned, and they were mentioned once each, were Soberano and L.A. Park. So, uh, we didn't get a ton from the Lucha world either, which kind of makes sense. We don't talk about a ton of Lucha on this show. We are not, you know, huge Lucha fans or anything like that. So we're going to have a disproportionate number of followers um, that are Lucha fans. I mean, we've got our share, um, but we didn't get a, a ton of responses in terms of Lucha wrestlers either. Um, our friend Lance Hoyt wanted me to break down his Wrestler of the Year candidacy, and I warned him that I would bury him, but he said he was up for it. So I wouldn't want to disappoint Lance. I do not want to be choke-slammed at the next grimy Texas indie show that I attend. So, um, let's throw in number 21, Lance Hoyt slash uh, Archer, and get him in the mix here a little bit. Obviously, a total non-entity in a Wrestler of the Year discussion, let's be completely honest here. Um, you know, I like Lance, I enjoy the Killer Elite Squad, but, uh, I'm not sure I've seen a Lance a Lance Hoyt singles match all year. That's not true. That's not true. I saw Lance work a singles match. No, wait, that is true. That match was two. The last singles match I saw him work was 2017. So, kind of hard to win Wrestler of the Year when you never work singles matches. Or at least ones that I see. Um, you know. Carol Elite Squad. I thought they were good on the Dantaku Tour. You know, and I knew that they weren't going to win against Sonata and Evil, which was the right booking call also. But um, I don't know. G1 looks to be stacked. I don't know if the Killer Elite Squad guys are going to get into the G1 mix. I wouldn't mind seeing that, though. Lance Hoyt had some very underrated G1 runs 
past years. Look, he wasn't Okada, okay? He wasn't Tanahashi, but, you know, he had a match against AJ Styles. I guess it was probably, it's probably 2014 or 2015. Excellent match. Excellent G1 match against Styles. But yeah, sorry, Lance. Um, you know, not not a top flight wrestler of the year candidate. That's for sure. Stay in your lane there, big guy. Go for that tag team award. Who knows? Big second half of the year for the uh, for the old KES. Maybe they get in the mix. Maybe I'll do a tag team version of this next week. Would that be boring? People like tag teams. I don't think we do 20. You know, about that 92-93 Phoenix Suns team, too. You know what was interesting about them? They won 62 games, and they marched through the regular season, won the Pacific Division, all those things. A lot of people don't remember this. They lost the first two games of a best-of-five because in those days, the NBA first round was best of five. They lost the first two games of a best of five to the Lakers that year. And they had to win three straight just to get out of the first round. That would have been an epic, an epic first round upset. This was the Laker team on the way down. I think James Worthy was still on that team. Um, that would have been an epic first round upset. Right up there with uh, the Nuggets knocking off the Sonics. Dikembe Mutombo, that iconic, that iconic shot of Dikembe Mutombo just holding the ball up in the air, laying on his back when the Nuggets knocked the Sonics out as an eight seed. Yeah, but the eight seed Lakers, who were on their way down, nearly beat the Suns that year. They won the first two games in Phoenix. I think back then the format was the the, the higher seed played the first two games at home, and then they went the next two on the road, and then if there was a game five, it's it's played back at the higher seed. They had to go to L.A. and win two games to send it back to Phoenix to win it in game five. You know, so Bar- Charles Barkley, what many would agree, was the best year of his career leading, leading the... Uh, Sons to the NBA final. That, that almost didn't happen. After that great regular season, they nearly, you know, blew it in the first round of the playoffs. It's crazy. They beat the Spurs in the next round, and, it, it, you know, um, they had that great Western Conference final against the Sonics. Before they lost in six to the Bulls, but. The finals was was a great final, too. There was the triple overtime game. What killed the Suns in the finals that year, and I watched every game of of those playoffs. I was into that Suns team. What killed the, the Suns in the finals that year was Dan Marley could not guard Michael Jordan. They had to switch, and, and Kevin Johnson had to guard Michael Jordan the last couple games of that series and it just they just couldn't find anybody to guard Jordan not many people could but he really ate Marley for life and Marley was a good defender Dan Marley was known as a good defensive player and this was peak Dan Marley I mean you know 1993 Dan Marley this was all-star Dan Marley but he just couldn't handle Jordan 
And Jordan was, um, you know, you always hear the old story of Jordan being insulted in the 92 Olympics because, uh, and, and just destroying Clyde Drexler in scrimmages and practices because people were suggesting that maybe Clyde Drexler had passed him by. Same thing happened here. The old stories being that uh, Jordan was hearing whispers that Marley was going to shut him down. And Jordan had something to prove, and he just fucking ate him for lunch to the point where they had to switch and put Kevin Johnson on uh, Michael Jordan, which was an enormous size mismatch. Johnson did a better job. Um, And Johnson played his ass off, particularly in a triple overtime game. Kevin Johnson was an excellent player that a lot of people don't remember. But yeah, the Suns played the Sonics in those Western Conference Finals. That was Sean Kemp, Derek McKee, a very young Gary Payton. Um, They had veterans on that team like uh, Nate McMillan and Ricky Pierce, Michael Cage. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Eddie Johnson was on that team as the sixth man. That was a good Sonics team. Real good Sonics team. As we do a little over and back on the flagship here. That's Rich's basketball podcast. You should go listen to that. He should have me on. I could talk about the 92-93 season all day long. All the Europeans are Xing out of this podcast. They're like, we don't care. Enough with the sports. Well, the American sports anyway. I'm, I'm sure they'd all be with, you know, ears to the speakers if I talked about darts or some shit. Darts are the, uh, you know, Soccer. little NBA for you there. 1993 NBA. Topical. Anyway. Let's talk about this Fox deal a little bit. A billion dollars. A billion dollar deal is the reported number. Of course, the average annual value of the raw deal is higher than the average annual value of the SmackDown deal. But that, but that billion dollar headline just jumps off a page, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. It really does. On, and, and, and presumably, SmackDown will air on Fox proper. Which, you know, Friday nights, they're not going to get interrupted much by other sporting events or things like that. And they'll have an NFL lead-in for, you know, at least in the fall. It's a lot of money. Over $200 million a year. I think it's two hundred five million a year. Uh, the guys over at WrestleNomics have just been doing a tremendous job, especially on the Patreon side. Give them a few bucks and listen to those shows. They can break down the financials way better than Rich and I can. But last week, I, I you know, to me, the NBCU deal was bad for the hardcore wrestling fan. If you want to hear why, I gave my reasons. I laid them out. I stand by those reasons. Um, go listen to last week's show. I think there's some valid concerns. I don't like WWE widening the gap. Um, I don't like that they've gotten away with 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 mediocre ratings. And I know people always come back with, "Oh, well, those are they're they're good ratings compared to the rest of the television landscape and all those sorts of things." My point here is, it's not a hot company. Raw just hit one of their lowest numbers ever this past week. SmackDown 
SmackDown seemingly hits, they break a new low record of some type seemingly every week over the last month. Whether it's an all-time one-year low, whether it's one of the three least viewed SmackDown episodes of all time, whether it, they, they always, they, they're breaking all sorts of wacky all-time low records seemingly every week. It's not good. But it's amazing that they, they, you know, because of the scarcity of television properties out there, they're, you know, they're getting money thrown at them, which, you know, good for them, I guess. So my concerns were laid out that last week. They're still valid. But in the interest of fairness, I want to talk about some good things that could come of this if you're a hardcore wrestling fan. I mean, if you're a WWE fan and that's all you follow and that's all you watch and you're not listening to this show and you like their programming and don't even see it as having warts, then this is nothing to you. It's just SmackDown's on a different network. You'll find Fox. But for the hardcore wrestling fan that follows worldwide wrestling, competition is what's best for us. And the gap just continues to widen, and it's a concern. But there is some good that can come of it, and that's what I want to focus on this week. I don't want to focus on the negative. We handled the negative last week. Um, Hopefully... This leads to a trickle down to some of the smaller promotions, and we see some other television. We see some other television networks take a chance on pro wrestling that isn't WWE. Maybe with these huge dollar amounts that are being thrown around, some other network executives will see wrestling as some sort of hot property. Maybe Impact can get a better deal. Maybe MLW can get a better deal. I don't know who. Maybe Sinclair's paying attention. They make a move with ROH, sell it to another, sell it to a network, or sell it to somebody else and turn a profit on it. And then they, who knows? Can we predict anything in wrestling these days? I mean, you never know what's around the corner. But hopefully, there's some sort of trickle down. And look, no one's going to get a deal even within the same stratosphere as WWE. But Impact has a horrible deal on Pop. We used to talk, we talk, joked about it all the time. From Impact has gone backwards from the Spike days. Every move they make is a lower profile move. And maybe one of these entities that missed out on WWE, whether it's a network or even something, you know, over the top like like um, like like Facebook Watch or Amazon, which were in play for SmackDown. Which, by the way, reportedly offered more money than the billion-dollar Fox deal. But WWE intelligently took the network television deal. It's too soon to put SmackDown off of TV and onto something like Facebook Watch or, or, or Amazon streaming. It's too soon for that. I mean, obviously the future is trending what we think. I mean, everyone keeps saying we're trending that way and that the television bubble will burst, but... Here we are, a billion dollars later, but um, well, you know, eventually, decade, you know, it's it's trending that way. 
But I think it would have been too soon because it's it's like we talk about all the time. It's you know on a very on a much smaller scale. This show that you're listening to, we can put this behind our paywall. Okay, the weekly flagship and our subscriber numbers. I am a hundred percent confident would go up. I think a lot of you would pay to listen to this show that aren't paying to listen to the extras that we're doing behind the paywall. But if we make that move, we cannot grow our audience. We would cease to grow our audience at that point. It'd be impossible to grow the audience because the only way to hear the show would be to pay for it. No one's going to pay for something they've never heard before. So the best business decision for Voices of Wrestling was to keep the flagship free. free and ad supported let the sponsors pay for this let the hardcore listener who can't get enough pay for the extras that was the best business move so we can keep increasing our listener base growing the audience and turning them into potential subscribers WWE had an opportunity to get on network television so it would have been you know penny smart dollar dumb to put Smackdown on a streaming service or on whatever the fuck Facebook watch is because they'd have less of an opportunity to create new fans on those outlets than they would on network television so it was the smarter play to take to take the lowly deal of one billion dollars so I mean you know that was the right play Which is why when dopey people always say, well, they just move more on SmackDown to the network. Well, because then that's it. Their business may as well die. You cannot grow from that point. You can't grow with everything behind a paywall. You need that stuff on TV. So that was the right decision. But hopefully one of these groups, you know, I, you know, Amazon and Facebook Watch and places like that, Facebook Watch especially, constantly looking for content. Pump some money into these other wrestling companies. Hopefully we see a trickle down. So that MLW can sign guys to exclusive contracts instead of contracts which allow their wrestlers. Dave Meltzer kind of half reported this last week. And I was going to report this on this week's show and I got mad because Dave kind of half scooped me. But the the deal with the MLW contracts, and you may have seen me tweet this out, I I spoke to... um, uh, Court Bauer and he and he gave me the lowdown on this. It's it's they do have their wrestlers under contract. They can work anywhere they want other than WWE, Lucha Underground, ROH, Impact. Um, you know, uh, WWN doesn't matter. They just can't go to WWE and and obviously. Uh, it, the news broke that in New Orleans at WrestleMania weekend, WWE approached several MLW talents who were under MLW contract and they, you know, they can't talk to them. MLW told them that and now have taken legal steps to prove, you know, because WWE just didn't quit. So that's the lowdown on those contracts. They're kind of reverse WWN contracts. Gabe Sapolsky's WWN contracts, you can't work in any of those other places, but you can leave to go to WWE. There are out clauses where if you get a WWE deal, you can get out of your contract. But you cannot work ROH or uh, anything with television or a streaming service. The MLW contracts are reverse. So I think that's interesting. And I can see the merits of both of those structures. 
I really can. But if someone like MLW catches a better television deal or over-the-top streaming deal or any kind of deal based on this w, if this if these WWE deals create a wave and there's more money being pumped into a company like that, maybe they could sign Shane Strickland to an exclusive deal because Shane Strickland could make his living exclusively working for MLW. Which would be great for wrestlers. It'd be great for you know these promotions to get more money pumped in. It'd be great for fans to, to have some stable I don't I, I hesitate at using the word competition because no one is going to be competition possibly in our lifetimes that's how far ahead they are they'd have to have as a publicly traded company a giant controversy that you know dragged them all the way down I mean investors run that's the only way I see it happening no one's going to ascend to WWE's level WWE's gonna have to come down to everybody else's level for there to be true competition but if Impact had a spike-level television deal from when they were on, and they had 1.5 million viewers a week, and they had a decent television deal from Spike, and um, you know, and, and MLW maybe you know had some sort of deal, and ROH, you know, Sinclair started to give a fuck, or they sold. If some of these companies had had better deals and more money being pumped into their into their bottom line, they could spend more money, sign guys to contracts. And maybe WWE bottom talent that doesn't feel they're being treated right would have more options and more places to go to make a living. I mean, even now we occasionally see guys leave WWE to, uh, you know, obviously Cody's the the prime example, but, you know, we've seen Juice Robinson leave their system. There's other examples. Imagine if there were more options. We'd see more of that. And that's good for you, the wrestling fan. Because it forces WWE to keep talent happy, book people well that they don't want to lose. There's incentive there for WWE to take care of people that they think have a future there or that they think can draw money. When there's the threat that these play, these people can go somewhere else and work. So that would be a good thing if other networks want to take a chance on other wrestling. I mean, the other thing is the obvious one Another reason this could be good for for us, the wrestling fan. Obviously, WWE has this huge influx of cash money. So they've got more resources for things like maybe doing a UK promotion or expanding 205 Live and, and taping it on its own or, you know, whatever, or, or doing something with a, maybe rolling out a women's promotion or something along those lines. They have more resources. They have more money to pump into things like that as well. Will they do that? I have no idea. Will they do things in those directions? I don't know. But maybe they will. I hope they will. For me personally, I'm most entertained by the stuff WWE does on their network. Whether it's 205 Live, or NXT, or the Cruiserweight Classic, or the Mae Young Classic. That's their best stuff for the hardcore fan, in my opinion. That's the stuff that speaks to us. The type of person that's going to listen to this show. The Joe Lanzas, the Rich Craiches. We go nuts for that stuff. Go listen to my TV reviews every Thursday. Go listen to Rich and I review the Cruiserweight Classic. Or the NXT TakeOver shows. So if they pump more resources into stuff like that, that's a good thing too. 
And then, of course, I talked about how Raw and SmackDown aren't doing so hot lately in terms of ratings and viewers. Well, on Fox proper, you got to deliver. SmackDown on the current trend they are over the last month or so, that's not going to fly on a network. Billion dollars, I mean, you know, that's it's a lot of money. I mean, it's not as big as some of the, you know, other deals that sports leagues receive, but it's still a lot of fucking money. Fox is going to want to return on that investment. They're going to need WWE to deliver. They're going to need, and they need, and this isn't Raw, remember, it's SmackDown. And this company is still in that mindset that Raw is the A show. And Rich has been alluding this, maybe SmackDown needs to become the A show. And I said during the Superstar Shakeup with the way that they transferred the talent, it looked like they were stacking up SmackDown, you know, for this potential bidding wars that were going to go on and maybe trying to juice up the roster a little bit. It hasn't worked in terms of viewership. People are tuning out of SmackDown, not in. But they're going to have to deliver on Fox. So why is that good for you, the wrestling fan? They've got to put effort, more effort into the product than they ever had before on the SmackDown side. That can end up being bad because they, they could do things, desperate ratings chasers uh, sort of things that could be very cringe. But if nothing else, they do have to, they may be under fire to produce a more focused product, whatever that means by their definition. Because Fox will cancel them. You're swimming with the big sharks now if you're on network TV. So we could get a more focused SmackDown. You know, they may be less apt to ignore crowd reactions and push people that the fans seem to want if they're under the gun to produce ratings. Maybe we'll see some other wrestling promotions benefit from this. You know, because it's a copycat business, like a lot of businesses. The TV business is a copycat business. You want to jump on the hot thing. You don't want to miss the hot thing. And maybe they perceive wrestling as the hot thing with the numbers that are being thrown around for WWE. So maybe some of these other promotions get a chance. To me, that'd be a great thing. If nothing else, just to breathe some life into some of these other promotions. Some of which are producing very good television that we'll talk about in a minute. which I guess could be a good segue to get into the television reviews. By the time you hear a lot of these, there'll be newer episodes of all three of these shows on your DVRs. But again, these were the TV reviews that I missed on Monday. I could not do on Monday on the subscriber side, so we'll do them here on the flagship. If you don't subscribe... I do these every Monday and Thursday. Monday is ROH, MLW, and Impact. Thursdays are 205 Live and NXT. They're always about an hour long. And I break down the shows top to bottom, as you're about to see. If you are a subscriber, here's the show you missed. 
on Monday. What do we start with? Let's start with uh, let's start with ROH. No Cole Cabana this week. Caprice Coleman joined Ian Riccoboni in the booth. He wasn't bad, I gotta tell you. Caprice Coleman's been hanging around ROH forever. Forever. They try all these different things with him over the years. He wasn't that bad in the booth. He was much better than the awful B.J. Whitmer. I never want to hear B.J. Whitmer in the booth again. Just dry and boring and brought nothing to the table. Cole Cabana's excellent. Cole Cabana might be the best in the business in terms of an analyst in the booth. He's really good. Coleman wasn't bad. First matchup was Jay Lethal versus Punishment Martinez. Punishment Martinez said in a pre-taped promo that he was going to take Jay Lethal south of heaven. Which had me thinking. He's going to take him to earth? I don't know. It didn't make much sense to me. Punishment Martinez getting a push of sorts. He did defeat Tomohiro Ishii in New Orleans, and they brought that up on commentary. They brought up that Punishment Martinez defeated Rev Pro World Champion Tomohiro Ishii. And it's good that they pounded that home. Tell the viewer that. Make him sound impressive. He beat a world champ. Lethal opened up this match with seven suicide dives. You know how Akira Tozawa does like you know, the spot where he does like three in a row or two in a row. He did seven. And my God, that popped the crowd. The crowd was instantly into this at that point. They had a pretty good match. Lethal wins clean in the middle. It's a pretty good match to kick off ROH. Two pushed commodities. And one guy wins clean in the middle. That's the way you do it. There's a lot to like about Punishment Martinez and there's a lot that leaves a bit to be desired. I would push him personally. They've got to create some stars. He's a little awkward in the ring sometimes, but I like his look. It's grown on me. And man, did he have a great match against Ishii in New Orleans. He was clearly motivated and he knocked it out of the park. So he's a guy that has shown if you get behind him, you know, he could be motivated and do some nice things. They showed us a, uh, a video clip of Jenny Rose challenging Sumi Sakai for the Women of Honor title. I cannot believe that this is the first feud that they're doing for that. I would have never thought. Now, look, from a storyline perspective, it makes sense because, Ro- you know, Sakai is Rose's mentor. And the story here is Rose is challenging for the title. Sakai doesn't really want to face her. But she's going to have to. But man, if you would have told me this would have been the first feud over the Women of Honor title, I would have thought you were nuts if you would have told me this before the tournament. But here we are. Jenny Rose and Sumi Sakai. Get hyped. We had Shane Taylor versus Joey Dadiego, whoever the hell you say his name. How do you pronounce this guy's name? Joey Diego, right? That's how you say it? Yeah. The, the former Jay Diesel. 
So I was stunned by this match. This was brutal. It was short. It was intense. Shane Taylor uh, dec- just decimated this man. He set him up on two tables on the outside of the ring, and then he um, he did a splash off of the apron through the two tables. And it just looked brutal, and he left Daddy Diego laying. I, I think this was a no contest. I don't even know how they ruled this. All I know is Shane Taylor destroyed this man. And Shane Taylor looked like a fucking killer coming off of this. It was tremendous. And again, this is what ROH needs to do. You know, they can't rely on Bullet Club forever, Cody forever, Bucks forever. Their contracts are coming due. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? They really need to light a fire under the Punishment Martinez's, the Shane Taylor's, your Jonathan Gresham's. Get behind these guys because they're going to be there. But man, this was a real slugfest and, and shockingly good. I think this week on this week's TV... Between this match and that awesome uh, Kari Sane versus, um, oh man, what's her name? Uh, let me look through my notes here. Uh, Evans, Lacey Evans. That was shockingly good on NXT. And I raved about that on the, on the pay show today, the pay reviews. So then we had Cody... He's talking about getting a rematch at Best in the World against Dalton Castle. So there's your there's your main event for Best in the World. Cody versus Dalton Castle for the ROH title. I would do the title switch. The Dalton Castle thing, I like Dalton Castle. It just hasn't worked. I mean, he's overshadowed by the Bullet Club and Cody anyway. Um, you know, his title match against Skrull was technically the main event in New Orleans. But, I mean, fans were just leaving in droves. Even with Skrull in the match. They tried it. It didn't work. I'd go back to Cody. Cody's the hot hand. We'll see what they do. Cody was in the main event here. Teamed with uh, Hangman Page and Marty Skrull. They took on SoCal Uncensored. This was a little shorter than I was expecting it to be. It had good action. Hangman Page pinned Scorpio Sky as the Bullet Club side won the match. Um, Nothing wrong with it. Just nothing worth going out of your way to see. I think that I like SoCal Uncensored as an act. Kazarian and Daniels and Scorpio Sky. It's breathed new life into Kazarian and Daniels. I was sick of them as a tag team. I liked them as a trio. Scorpio Sky, how about this guy, huh? You know, a year ago, he's working Wrestle Circus shows and really not doing much of anything else. Now, he's the head trainer at the New Japan Dojo in LA, and he's got himself a pretty decent spot in Ring of Honor. And this is a guy who pretty much fell off the map for a number of years. And here he is. He's, you know, he's got two pretty good jobs in pro wrestling these days. So anyway, this was a decent Ring of Honor episode. Um, the Shane Taylor, Joey Dadiego stuff was, was the best stuff on the show. The Lethal Martinez match was pretty good too, though. But the main events, you know, nothing to go crazy about. Just a three-star match. Pretty good show. It was okay. Not a bad little ROH this week. 
as we move on to MLW. I am abbreviating these a bit. Don't have a ton of time here on the flagship today. So MLW, I talked about the contracts uh, a little earlier. You can kind of figure out some of the people that they have on their contract just based on who they're pushing. Show opened with a Shane Strickland Pentagon Jr. feud recap as Pentagon Jr. gets ready to challenge for the MLW world title. Pentagon spit red mist in the face of Shane Strickland last week. They said Strickland was taken to Johns Hopkins specialist to look at his eyes and he's been deemed healthy and ready to go. So we're going to get that match presumably in a couple weeks but first Pentagon Jr. had to get by Phoenix his brother who they acknowledge as his brother both of whom both of whom are clients of Selena who is the heel manager in MLW who represents all of the Latin talent that comes in she's walked Sammy Guevara to the ring she represents both of these dudes Pentagon and Phoenix and her gimmick is that she's a rich business owner who collects Latin wrestlers and she wants an MLW title Pentagon Junior vs. Phoenix they were calling this Ultimate Jeopardy or Double Jeopardy or something that's the main event for tonight the opening match was Coto Brazil versus Trey Miguel Trey Miguel you may know from Midwestern Indies like AAW Calls himself the Fresh Prince of Midair, which is an absolute killer nickname. That's awesome. Fresh Prince of Midair. I love that. Coto Brazil, I was not familiar with at all. He was a black dude that kind of reminded me of early Kofi Kingston with his look. He's a local Florida guy. You see a lot of that in MLW. Works ACW a lot. Has been on some WWN shows. You probably know him better as Snoop Strikes. But he works here as Coto Brazil. It's a good match. Two guys out there trying to impress. Two young guys. A lot of crazy spots and crazy dives. Miguel went over with the Meteora. But there was a lot of good stuff here. Rich Bocchini visited Dorada, Puerto Rico. Selena's estate and he did a walk around interview with her it was short not much to it and she ended up pushing him in the pool at the end which a blind man could see coming as they approached her pool there were a lot of pools on this episode because then we had filthy Tom Lawler and Simon Gotch hanging out in a pool talking about Jimmy Havoc Filthy Tom Lawler is very charismatic. 
looks like he has good instincts for pro wrestling. I really hope he sticks with it. I really do. I think there's a lot of upside with Filthy Tom Lawler. He's a tremendous heel here in this company. They're setting up a match between him and Jimmy Havoc. I like Simon Gotch as like the guy you got to go through to get to Tom Lawler. That's what they did with the ACH feud. So I'd like to see Jimmy Havoc face Simon Gotch first. I kind of like that. The idea behind that. But yeah, Lawler and Gotch were just chilling in the pool. Two dudes in a pool. Talking about Jimmy Havoc. A lot of vignettes on MLW. It's not as cramped and packed as NXT. But they pack a lot in their hour too. Next we had the Dirty Blondes. Managed by Colonel Rob Parker. And they took on Jimmy Utah and Jason Cade. Who you may remember a few weeks ago. I think on the debut episode of uh, MLW Fusion on BN Sports. The Dirty Blondes defeated Utah and Cade. When Colonel Rob Parker interfered from the outside, tripped up one of the men, and allowed Dirty Blondes to score the pin. So here, it was an elimination match. The Rich Craig special. Two versus two. The Dirty Blondes are two southern indie dudes. A couple of out-of-shape guys with bleach blonde hair. They look exactly like somebody Colonel Rob Parker would manage, you know, 20 years ago. They don't have a great look for television. There are a couple of guys named Leo Bryan and Michael Patrick. But Colonel Rob Parker is the star of the act, and these are the kind of guys that you throw a, an experienced manager like Colonel Rob Parker on. Patrick has more experience. He's been a wrestler for many years. A Florida guy. And I finally figured out what they remind me of. Each of them look like Steve Carino at a different stage of his career. One has like a a flat top buzz cut, you know, blonde. That's like 0-1 Steve Carino. And the other guy has like floppy, stringy blonde hair, which is like ECW Steve Carino. They're like both Steve Carino at different stages of both weight and career. But neither one of them are even half as good as Steve Carino. That's the problem. I'm just not a big fan. I, you know, I don't know if I would want the Dirty Blondes on my TV when I'm otherwise loaded with talent. I'm not a big fan of Dirty Blondes or Barrington Hughes. But I can understand MLW is trying to create their own stars instead of just important guys from the Indies, a lot of which are going to end up probably in WWE at some point. So I get it. So this is an elimination match. Jimmy Utah is eliminated first. Then Utah and Cade tie things up. Colonel Rob Parker, they tried to repeat the finish from the first match that these teams had. He tried to do that trip of uh, Cade coming off the ropes. Jimmy Utah was pointing that out to the referee. 
But with Jimmy Utah having the referee's attention, the dirty blonde that was eliminated came back into the ring and they used their double team finish on Cade behind the referee's back and they won again. And then Cade and Utah teased a split after the match because they're tired of losing to the Dirty Blondes and I would be too so we might see Cade and Utah split we'll have to see what happens there two good young wrestlers and the Dirty Blondes look to be getting you know a push here of some sort they haven't introduced any kind of tag team titles or yet, you know, or anything like that with, with them which I think is smart they've got their world champion and they haven't rolled out you know, I talked about this on the pay side a couple weeks ago. They haven't rolled out tag team titles or women's divisions or anything like that. No. They're not trying to overindulge you with stuff at this point. I'm sure they'll have tag team titles at some point. And I'm sure the Dirty Blondes will be in the mix because they win every time they're on TV. Main event was Pentagon versus Phoenix. And as expected, Pentagon won the match with the package pile driver clean in the middle. I've seen Pentagon and Phoenix wrestle no less than 9 billion times in every promotion on earth, including this one. And this was the least interesting Pentagon-Phoenix match I've ever seen. Look, it just didn't click. It was okay. But normally I'm blown away by these guys, even though they repeat the same spots over and over. I don't know, this match just didn't do it for me. It was their least interesting match they've had in a long time. Maybe ever. What are you going to do? So not a great MLW this week. The Trey Miguel Coto Brazil match was a lot of fun. And uh, the elimination tag was good in the sense that it continued to establish the push for the Dirty Blondes, even though I'm not crazy about them. And it moved the Jimmy Utah, Jason Cade story along as well. These two young wrestlers who continually get outsmarted by the veterans, and now they're at odds. So that's interesting. And then we're building towards Pentagon Junior challenging Shane Strickland for the uh, for the heavy for the world title. So, a functional episode of MLW TV. And now we talk about Impact Wrestling. Opened up with Eli Drake and Scott Steiner defending the tag team titles against DJZ and Andrew Everett. And we had a title change. New champs. I know you're all super excited. See, that's the problem. Nobody is super excited. I want titles to matter again. I want title changes to mean something. I want when a title changes hands in a, in a promotion like this, for it to be the talk of Twitter, to be the talk of social media, to be the talk with you and your friends who follow wrestling. Hey, man, did you hear DJZ and Andrew Everett run the Impact Tag Team titles? If someone said that to you now, you'd be like, who gives a fuck? What the hell are you telling me that for? There was a time when title changes were big news. Up and down the card. Not just the world title. All titles. Nobody cared about this. I didn't see anybody talking about this. Okay, I get it. It's Impact. But look at WWE. Does anyone give a fuck when any title changes in that company short of possibly the Universal or World title? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The Usos have won the tag team titles, versions of tag team titles in that company, what, 11, 12, 15, 28 times, whatever it is? 
Can you name one of the title changes that stuck with you, that you remember, that was memorable? Give me the spot. Give me the moment. They don't mean anything anymore. And I hate that. Title changes and heel face turns used to be the shit that got your atten- that got everyone's attention and was all the talk at school the next day when we were kids. Now it, none of it matters anymore. It's just shit, you know. That, that's man. I, I really wish titles meant more. I do, you know, and, and I, I wish we got excited about title changes the way we used to. And that's what this match made me think about. Everyone remember, you know, Hulk Hogan beats the Iron Sheik. Everyone remembers all the baby faces in the locker room and Mean Gene, Andre pouring fucking milk on him and liquids and all that. Everyone remembers that. Everyone remembers Bret Hart winning the Intercontinental from Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam and then ripping the singlet off of his body. Everyone remembers Ultimate Warrior beating the Honky Tonk Man before he was even able to take off his ring gear. At SummerSlam a few years before that. These title changes would stick with you. You'd remember specific memories and moments from them, like I'm saying now. Give me one for the Usos. Give me one for the Miz. And all his dopey intercontinental titles that, that you know he talks about all the, He's trying. I'll give him credit for that. Give me the moment. Dolph Ziggler has won how many titles in that company? What? Give me a memorable one. Ultimate Warrior beating Hogan at WrestleMania 6 and Hogan upstaging him after the match and then going off on his little you know ring cart. Everyone remembers that. You probably can picture it in your mind right now, the picture. Even if you weren't like a fan at that time, just the, the, the pictures of that are legendary, of Hogan just being wheeled away from the ring. Same thing. You know, it's like, um, you know, even just title matches, not even title changes. Hogan, Andre at three. You remember Bobby Heenan looking so depressed as he was wheeled off with Andre down the cart. I know these are big world title matches with Hulk Hogan, but even, you know, like, like I talked about with Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect, their Connell title. You don't even get these moments with those titles anymore. No one's ever going to remember this. I'm not picking on you know, Impact here or DJZ or Scott Steiner or Eli Drake. It's just, it's just, I don't know. Title changes don't mean anything. We, there's too many of them. There's too many title change. You know, it's, it's, this is why I'm a proponent of long title reigns because the longer a title reign is, the more it means when they lose the title. The more of an accomplishment it feels like for the guy who won it. So I'm all in favor of Okada holding that title for a long time until it's, until fans get tired of it. People stop buying tickets. Brock Lesnar, same thing. Big fan of Brock because it's gonna, it's gonna impact you when someone finally beats Brock Lesnar. When someone beats AJ Styles, it's not gonna be a moment, but it'll be a moment when somebody beats Brock Lesnar. That one will endure because it, you know, 
the scarcity of Brock's appearances and all that. But it's so few and far between now in wrestling, especially North American, United States, Canada wrestling. It, it's you know titles mean nothing in lucha, but it, it's it, it's something that I miss a lot. I really miss it a lot. Steiner tried to use a chair from the floor. He thought he was swinging at one of his opponents. He accidentally hit Eli Drake. And Andrew Everett hits a standing shooting star press on the knocked out Drake and they win the title. So DJZ and Andrew Everett are your tag team champions. So the little Scott Steiner thing, look, he came in, he's almost 60, he worked hard. It ran its course. Now we move forward with DJZ and Andrew Everett who will feud with LAX from here. Tessa Blanchard versus Kira Hogan. Tessa wins. Kira Hogan's contract's coming due. Who knows if she'll stick with Impact. A lot of rumors she could be WWE bound. I don't know what's going to happen. Tessa wins this. I got to tell you, I'm still not impressed with Tessa Blanchard. I don't get it. She's another one I'm not impressed with. I don't see what the hype is about. Here's what I know about Tessa Blanchard. Third generation wrestler. That's it. I, I'm not impressed. I don't get it. I've been watching her for years now, and I don't fucking get it. She's okay. She doesn't strike me as this, like, you know, generational star or business changing star or difference maker. I don't get it. Backstage stuff aside, I'm just bell to bell. I don't get it. I don't get what sets her apart or why people go nuts over Tessa Blanchard. I don't, I don't understand. Congo Kong and Jimmy Jacobs are confronted by Grado in the back. He wants to know why they attacked Joseph Park. They deny that... Jimmy Jacobs denies that Congo Kong is the mystery man who's attacking everybody. All throughout the show, we got more Eddie Edwards, Tommy Dreamer, Sammy Callahan stuff. Really focused on the relationship between Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer. And this is great stuff if you're not paying attention to it or following it. The Eddie Edwards storyline. Which is all accidental because Sammy Callahan smashed his fucking face in with a baseball bat. But they've run into something here. And I think it's great that Sammy Callahan thought that he accidentally backed into a gimmick with the bat. But in reality, it's Eddie Edwards that's benefiting most from this, not Sammy Callahan. Because Eddie Edwards is doing some of the best character work of his career, and he's getting a lot of attention for it. And rightfully so. He's the guy who got his skull cracked. Callahan tried to turn the bat thing into a gimmick. And more on that in a minute. We had El Hijo Dil Fantasma and Pentagon Jr. doing a promo. They had the tag team main event coming out at the end of the show. They're going to face Austin Aries and Matt Seidel. Austin Aries holds that dopey grand championship that they should probably get rid of. Matt Seidel is the X Division champion. They're facing Pentagon Jr. and Phantasma in the main event. They cut a little promo here. Phantasma speaks perfect English. Pentagon Jr. still using the subtitles. Not confident with his English. I don't even know if he knows it. But for some reason, Pentagon Jr. was referring to Phantasma as pure chocolate. I don't know what the fuck that means. 
The only pure chocolate in wrestling I know is Big Daddy Yum Yum. 270 pounds of pure milk chocolate. Are they stealing Yum Yum's gimmick here? I don't know if I like that. Anyway, that was weird. We had Congo Kong versus Grado. I I could do without Grado, but I get it. Kong wins with a splash off the top. Then he attacks Grado after the match. And Moose runs down for the save. Moose and Congo Kong are feuding right now. They also tease a little bit of friction between Grado and Katrina. Katrina, of course. Katrina Winters. That's Grado's girlfriend. Wrap your head around that. Because Katrina goaded Grado into taking this match against Congo Kong. And the story surrounding this is that he had no chance against a vicious competitor like Kong. And that turned out to be the case. LAX confronted by Trevor Lee and Caleb Conley in an alley. So they're setting up a match between those two teams. I'm pretty sure if I re- if I remember the tapings correctly, this all leads to LAX challenging DJZ and Andrew Ever for the tag team titles. But I, I, you know, I could be wrong. I read spoilers and then like, if I come across spoilers, I forget them ten minutes later. I, you know, I think that's where all this leads. But they'll have to get through Lee and Conley first. Lee and Conley are tremendous together on Impact. I enjoy their act. LAX, they're still looking for Conan. He's been missing. Their tag team title loss was blamed on not having Conan's guidance when they lost to Eli Drake and Scott Steiner. They're looking for Conan. They're looking for their money. They're looking for their booze. And they're looking for their broads. Hey, look, don't call me problematic. That's what they say. I would say broads too, to be fair. But yeah, so that's that's LAX. They're always looking for their 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 uh, their booze, their women, and Conan. And they're in disarray. They used to do those promos from like that clubhouse, but Conan hasn't been around. We had a Sammy Callahan versus Eddie Edwards street fight from House of Hardcore. And what's great about this are two things. Number one, like I talked about before, Sammy Callahan is not benefiting from hitting Eddie Edwards in the face with that bat like he thought he would. He has not benefited from that at all. In this match, they built it to the bat spot where Sammy Callahan goes to grab the bat and not a single person in the building popped. Sammy Callahan's bat routine is not over at all. And good, fuck him. Eddie Edwards, however, is doing tremendous work in this feud getting accolades, you know, from all of the critics. And what else was great about this is Tommy Dreamer leveraged getting this match in his promotion so he could draw money off it. It's a House of Hardcore match. So this was a walk and brawl, but there were a bunch of brutal spots. One thing Sammy Callahan will do is put his body on the line. We all know that. Eddie Edwards is this deranged, hyper-focused individual on destroying Sammy Callahan. He won this match. He defeated Callahan definitively. But the story here is that even though he has firmly put Sammy Callahan in the rear view, he still cannot let go. And it has still taken him over. 
and he's a man possessed. It's broken him. He's deranged. And I'm curious to see where it goes. It's been good stuff. It's the best stuff going on right now on Impact, which isn't really that bad of a show. There's a lot of decent stuff going on on Impact. The Brian Cage World Tour, which we talked about behind the paywall last week, they showed him defeating Takeshi Segura and Noah in a match that took place last year, but they're putting it off as though it took place, you know, like last week. Here he took on Facade, who was on MLW the week before. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He was on Ring of Honor the week before. Now he's on Impact from Windsor, Ontario, Canada. And, of course, they're doing the undefeated streak gimmick with Brian Cage. He wins. He defeats Facade. They're doing things with Cage. I talked about all that last week. I think it's a good move. KM continues to mentor Falaba. Trying to get him in shape. Trying to improve the women he dates. And KM encouraged Falaba to flirt with Kira Hogan, who looked very impressed. If they want Kira Hogan to stick around, I'm not sure a comedy love interest angle with Falaba is the way to go. But hey, I'm not writing the show. Next, we had like a 10-minute video package of the undead bride Sue Young in a graveyard with some druids and spooky music. And I don't know what the fuck was going on. All I know is that it was bad. I have zero interest in this shit. Sue Young walking around a cemetery, waving her hands around with her bloody dress on and her spirits dancing around. I don't know what the... What was this? Can we get back in the ring for some action? So they wrote off Rosemary, who's got the knee injury with the Sue Young thing, and now she's going to feud with Allie or whatever, but I can't, I can do without the supernatural stuff. I, I got no use for it. No use whatsoever. Then the main event was Pentagon and Phoenix. Not Phoenix, I'm sorry. Pentagon, he wrestles the guy so much, I just assume he's teaming with him. Pentagon teaming with El Hio del Fantasma against the double championship team of Austin Aries and Matt Seidel. This was boring. This was boring. Not a good television week for Pentagon Jr., who normally I enjoy. I can't believe with these four guys that I was so bored by this match, but it just wasn't a good match. Phantasma pins Matt Seidel, so they're setting up an X-Division match between those two. And Austin Aries is the next challenger for Pentagon Jr.'s Impact World title. So, we had sort of a championship scramble match, like they called them in Japan between these two teams. But, um, yeah, so they set up Phantasma. The finish was good with Phantasma pinning Seidel because that sets up that title challenge and all. It's just the action wasn't that good in this match. It was boring, especially considering the people that were involved. So, not a great impact this week at all. I did not really... Uh, I can't recommend this impact. The the Eddie Edwards stuff was good. Um, you know, there was a title change that unfortunately nobody cares about anymore. And, you know, the rest of it was a whole lot of nothing. Not a great impact. It's been better over the last month or so than it was this week. 
So that's your Monday TV reviews. I wasn't going to leave you guys without. Now, coming up this Monday, it's Memorial Day. And unfortunately, again, I won't be able to do the uh, ROH MLW Impact Show on Monday. I haven't figured out my battle plan for that yet. Um, so, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll do it the next day. Tuesdays are bad for me, though. Um, maybe I'll find a way to do it. Maybe we'll do it on the flagship again. I, I don't know. I've been working hard trying to figure out how we're going to get around that. There may be a special guest for that one. Possibly, maybe. But um, it's highly doubtful I'll be able to record it on on Monday um, as usual. So we'll see what we, we do about that. Where's my notes? That's it. I think we're out of topics. Did I talk about everything? Fox Deal, TV Reviews, Wrestler of the Year, OTT, Rev Pro. Oh, Best of the Super Juniors. We're going to save that for next week with Krage. We're going to do that with Krage. So next week, things to look forward to. We're going to talk about the All Japan Cork and Hall Show with the big Kento Miyahara versus uh, Naomichi Marafuji main event. Marafuji, of course, won Champion Carnival to set that up. So we're going to review that entire show. And we're going to um, talk about Best of Super Juniors, which has been excellent so far. Best of Super Juniors has been awesome. Talked a little bit about it when I talked about Osprey, but man, so many matches are knocking it out of the park in that tournament. We knew it'd be good, but it's been it's been probably even better than our expectations. We'll see if that holds going into next week. So, those are two things we'll definitely touch on. We had a big six week gap between WWE pay per views, between Backlash and Money in the Bank. So. We're getting to talk about different things on these flagships in the interim, which is good. So, that's it. I got nothing left for you guys. Um, we will see you next week on the flagship, and hopefully I'll you'll hear from me before that with uh, the TV reviews on the subscription side. So, uh, that's it. I don't have to end these. It's always awkward. Bye. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shiny star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.